Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I really appreciate that. It's, um, it's a wonderful thing to see um, men, Pete's a bit older than me, walked ahead of me. Tomo, my friend, is my peer. Uh, we came on to eldership together at... Um, at Glenridge, we've been peers for many, many years. It's been a wonderful journey with you. And then to see the next generation and uh, to see Mark and Gabe and Nick Chadwick, to see the next generation counting for God, it's a beautiful thing. It's a very, very beautiful thing. You know, um, my dad was an alcoholic and I went to go and pray for him in the mountains one day when I was a young believer. And I spent some time praying. I, I drove back down to church and I parked my car. And um, I walked into church, I was probably about 22 years old or 23 years old, and I walked into church and a woman walked up to me that I've never seen before and I've never seen her since. I can only believe she was an angel. I I mean, I don't know what an angel looks like, but if it was, it must be her. She was a messenger. She walked up to me, she said, you've been in the mountains praying for your father. I thought, ooh. I thought I was alone. (laughs) I said, really? She said, um, God's heard your prayers, and He's got your Father in the palm of His hands. She said, you'll be in full-time ministry, and I believe everyone's in full-time ministry. You'll be in full-time ministry five years from today's date. You'll preach to thousands. You'll be used in the gift of healing, and God has got your dad in the palm of His hands. And I went into ministry five years, one week short of five years of that date, and, and it was my understanding of ministry. I believe people in business are in ministry. I've had the privilege of preaching to thousands. I've seen some miracles and I'd like to see more. But it took 22 years from that time until my dad got saved. And it happened at an Angus Bucken conference where I was speaking with Angus Bucken. I was meant to speak first and my dad was meant to speak And Angus was meant to speak um, second. And my dad came to listen to me. And his exact words as a 72-year-old, highly successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses, lots of money, And all those things. He said, I'm coming to listen to you. I haven't come to listen to the farmer. And when we got there, Angus Buckins' schedule was quite busy. So they asked me if I would turn around. I said, can Angus preach first and you preach second? I said, no problem. I must just check with my dad. (laughs) So I said, dad, they've changed the order. He said, oh, it's no problem. I'm going to have to listen to the farmer. (laughs) And that farmer got off the stage in an auditorium full of people. And he walked down the aisle about seven or eight rows, I can't remember, six rows. He walked down the aisle, he put his hand on my dad's shoulder and he preached to the audience like this. He went back, got on the stage, came down, put, came down, put his hand back on my dad's shoulder, went back onto the stage, came down, put his hand on my dad's shoulder, preached. He didn't know it was my dad. And then he clapped his hands like this. He said, gentlemen, it's time to make right with Jesus. And that proud... Wonderful, beautiful, strong, highly successful, independent, stubborn man. Turned to one of my friends and said, Stan, what must I do? He said, Mr. Dyer, it's time. And I watched my dad run to the front. And a whole lot of men ran to the front. And Angus Buckingham said, come and lead these men to Jesus, Rory. And I started to weep. And he said, why are you crying? I said, because that man is my dad. And 22 years ago, God gave me a word that he would look after my dad. 
I don't know where you are on that 22-year process. But I feel as Angus Buckin declared over our nation, it's time. It's time, friends, to make decisions for Christ. It's time to get your life in order. It's time to deal with stuff. It's time to let go of the past. It's time to release and forgive and to let go and to break ties. It's time to get your life in order. Husbands, get your life in order. Wives, get your life in order. Sons, get your lives in order. Daughters, get your lives in order. Business people, get your lives in order. Because we've got a world to minister to. And I want to talk to you about a little bit about the timings of God. And if you don't mind, turn with me please to the Mark chapter 5. I won't preach for long, I promise you. I really won't. But I trust that you understand the heart of Jesus. How many doctors in this room? Doctors. Stand up, doctor. How many other doctors? One doctor in this whole room. Hey? You can't save everyone at the same time. Is there no other doctor in this room? Doctor in training? Doctor in training? Who's doctor in training? Why don't you stand? Any other doctors in training? Are you in training? You're, no, 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 stand. Are you a doctor? Stand. Oh, if you sit in the back row, you always get attention, my brother. <laughs> yeah, you're a great man from Hilton. If you are trained as a doctor, and you wake up on a Sunday morning, and you get two phone calls. The phone call of a woman who's had a serious motor car accident. She's been raced to hospital. She's on life support. And five minutes later, you get a phone call of a guy who's got arthritis in his knee and it's been sore for about 10 years. Which way do you go? Who do you give your attention to? To who? Patient A. We call it patient A. Awesome. <laughs> patient A gets our attention. Awesome. Patient A, well done. Who do you give your attention to? Yeah, the first patient. Who do you give your attention to, sir? Hey? First patient. Ah. Why? Because you've got sore knees. Or you just like the book of Nehemiah. Who do you give your attention to, ma'am? What's your training say? Patient A. Because our training says we give our attention to patient A. Let me give you a second scenario. If we walked into the church, you may be seated, thank you. If we walked into the church, and standing on the stage is Angus Buchan, a man of incredible standing in our nation, and standing on the other side of the stage is a tramp from Danoon, unemployed, bankrupt, dirty tramp from Danoon, and you walk down this aisle, which way do you lean towards? Who do you speak to by your natural leaning? Who says Angus? Patient A. Let's learn about Jesus tonight. Mark chapter 4 and verse 41. It says they were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? 
Say, who is this? The best theologians in the book of Mark are the demons. They're the only guys who get Jesus. They're actually the only people who know who he is until the end of the book. Who is this? Look what it says in verse 17 of chapter 5. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So as God starts moving, people say, please leave. Look at verse 40 of chapter 5. But they laughed at him. Who is this? Which patient did he respond to first? What kind of people does he go towards? Who is this? Some people asked him to leave. Some people laughed. And look what it says in verse chapter 6. And verse 2. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So some people want him to leave. Some people think he's a joke. And some people get offended by him. What's your response to Christ? Do we understand him? Do we know who he really is? Do we act like him? So let's read the story. Make a few points. We'll go home. Chapter 21, verse 21. In the middle of this thing, friends, if you look at chapter 4, verse 35, he takes them into the middle of danger. Jesus takes them into the middle of danger. When you come to Christ, it's not a safe life. He will take you into danger to test your faith. In chapter 5, he goes all the way across the lake to deal with a demoniac. He gets in a boat, goes all the way across the lake, deals with a demon, and gets back in the boat and goes all the way across the lake. And the story we're going to read, it's about one woman who presses through a crowd to get to Christ. And so you ask the question, is Jesus going to get in the boat and come all the way across for me? Or must I push through the crowd and get to him? The answer is yes. And just when you think you don't have to push through, he waits for you to push through. And just when you think you have to push through, he gets in a boat and comes to the other side and meets with you. Jesus can do whatever he likes. He keeps you on your toes. And then he deals with death and he deals with disease. He takes them into danger. He deals with demons. He deals with death. He deals with the disease. And this is a story. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, say Jairus, he's got a name. He's got a title, he's got a position, he's got authority, he's probably got wealth, he's in the city, and he's got an incredible name. Came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Acute problem. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Major problem, patient A, deep trouble. Jesus responds. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Many times, friends, we come to church and hear about men. And we hear about sons. I want to particularly speak to girls tonight. And the heart of God for women. 
Because I believe one of the keys to the opening up of this city will be women. She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Keep your finger there and turn to Leviticus chapter 15, please. Leviticus 15 verse 25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. She spent all her money. She's got no money left. She is financially broken. If you have lived with a woman on a period or have a sister or a wife or a friend, a period is a very physically draining activity in a woman's body. And after five or six days, thank goodness it stops so they can build up strength again and get energy again and start to feed their bodies again. She was on a period for 12 years. She was finished. She was completely and utterly depleted. Her money was finished. Her body was absolutely exhausted and everything she touched became unclean. Financially ruined, physically ruined, emotionally ruined and socially outcasted. She was a complete outcast. And Jesus is on a mission to touch a girl who's dying. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Say he turned around. Friends, I want to ask this question. He's busy with a man who's got a name. His name is Jairus. He's got a tradition. He's got a platform. He's got a holy history. He's a lani in the church. He's busy with him. He's absolutely a wonderful man. And he's got a major problem. And in the middle of that crisis, he turns around. Say he turned around. I want to ask you this question. Do you think that we're keeping Jesus preoccupied with the church while the bleeding woman... is dying in our city. Do we, do we think that the church is taking too much of Christ's attention? 
while those who are bleeding in their marriages and bleeding in their businesses need Christ to turn around and touch them. Everything she touched was unclean. The bed she lay on, the couch she slept on, the, the couch, everything was unclean. So as she pushed through the crowd, every single person she touched was unclean. And when Jesus calls her, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. You know, you can actually be close to Christ without touching him. You can be in the church for 20 years without touching Christ. You can be part of worship and part of serving teams and in the parking team, and you can be around Christ, but you never actually touch him. You never actually demand from him his righteousness and his power. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And when the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, he said to her, he said to her daughter, it's amazing. He's busy here. The religious man behind him is a woman who is financially destitute, Socially outcasted, emotionally depleted, physically broken, dirty in everything she does. And when he turns around, he says to her daughter. And actually this whole weekend is about calling you daughter, isn't it? It's about Jesus turning towards you and calling you daughter. And actually this morning, Fred, he turned around, didn't he, to you and called you son. And you think, well, I don't deserve it and I, I haven't earned it and I can't actually. And he turned around and he said, son. And in this moment, Jesus is acting like a father and bringing people who are outcasts into a family. We must make sure, friends, that the family of God doesn't be so preoccupy Christ and us that we can't turn around and call others into the family of God. By the name of son and daughter. I tell you why. I, I ask why. Can you imagine this guy? He's got a daughter who's unbelievably sick. And Jesus turns and leaves him behind. I tell you why, friends. There are times whether you're an eldership team, whether you're in a life of a church, where sometimes Jesus turns away from you because he wants to give his attention to somebody else. And at that time, he hasn't forgotten you. He's just busy with different things and reprioritizing your own life. And I believe, friends, what he's telling Jairus is, Jairus, you've got a name and you've got a title and you've got a position and you've got righteousness, but I want to tell you that's not the important thing here. I'm important. Jesus is important. I was reading about the social manners of nations. He's in South Africa, if you're 15 minutes late, in, in um England, if you're 15 minutes late, you apologize. In America, if you're over 30 minutes late, you apologize. In Africa, if you're over four hours late, you apologize. 
There are some countries that's the land of yap. It takes 12 hours of being late until you apologize. But when Jesus is late, he never apologizes because he's busy with something bigger. 22 years from when God told me he'd save my dad to when he saved my dad. 22 years because the timings of God don't belong to us, they belong to him. There was an acute problem. And there was a chronic problem. He could have left that woman. She had been suffering for 12 years. And Jesus turned around so he could deal with him and so he could deal with her. And some of you are sitting here and think, God, you've turned your back on me. No, he hasn't. He's just reordering your priorities. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. You see, friends, can you imagine? He's got his back to Jairus. He's dealing with this woman. He calls her daughter. She's been suffering for 12 years. He's got a daughter who's dying. She's 12 years old. And when it feels like God has turned his back on us, he will always give us a snippet here and there to hold on to. Always. He calls her daughter. He thinks, my daughter's sick. 12 years of suffering. My daughter's 12 years old. And when Jesus turns his back on you, It's because he's preparing something better for you than you actually asked for. He asked for a healing. He got a resurrection. Amen? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put all of them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita Kawum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. What's he acting like? What's he acting like? Acting like a dad. Little girl, hey sweetie, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Five minutes, friends, that's all I ask, and we're finished. Jesus acts, I believe, in this particular text in three ways. The three greatest ways that our city needs right now for Jesus to act. Number one, he acts like a father. And we've been preaching in this church for the last couple of days. We preached in church on Maine about the father heart of God. And I believe that this nation desperately needs fathers and really needs to know God as father. And the, re- the responsibility is not just on human beings. The responsibility is a theological understanding that you've got a God in heaven that will look after you. The Bible, the book of Mark starts like this. The gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so he teaches us what it means to be a son and he teaches us what it means to be a father. 
and we have to be able to turn around into any situation of dirty, despondent, financially broken, emotionally destroyed, socially outcasted people, and we have to, with faith in our hearts, be able to say, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, daughter. You weren't meant to be here today. You came because God somehow orchestrated a whole set of plans to stop a meeting and turn towards you and say to you, young lady, beautiful, wonderful young lady, daughter. And you say, but you don't know what I've done with my life, daughter. Daughter, son, son, son. And you, doctor lady, daughter. The daughter. Daughter. Why don't you stand, if you don't mind? Just lift your hands like this. And you think people have forgotten you. And there are times that you've been unbelievably lonely. And you think that Jesus has been busy with church stuff. And he's been busy with important people who've got names. And you think that you've been forgotten. And you were rejected by a man. And there's been deep pain for that. And the moment that you reach out tonight and touch Jesus' cloak, he turns around and says, daughter. Yes, look at me. Daughter. Daughter. He takes her. He gets her to stand up like this. And he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. That man who treated you badly, that man who rejected you, that man who divorced you, will not be the determining factor of your life. The name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the title of Jesus over your life is dearly beloved daughter. Doctor, today you meet the healer, the doctor of heaven, the great physician, the divine one who takes away the pain and heals your heart. Daughter. Daughter, beautiful, wonderful daughter. Today the bleeding stops and the healing starts. In Jesus' name, amen. Son, son, stand. You never thought, because we trained in different ways. I know you're a trained man. I know you're an educated man. But you trained in a certain way. You think Jesus acts in a certain way. You think Jesus gives his full attention to the church. And today Jesus turned around towards you. And he said to you, son. And you said, but Jesus, you don't know what I've done. He said, son. And today the bleeding stops in your life. The shedding of blood stops in your life. The pain and the suffering stops in your life. And the healing begins. He says to you today, Fred, son. Daughter. Daughter. You're getting it, eh? You're getting it, eh? You're getting it. Overflowing. Overflowing. You're getting it. You are a? A daughter. A daughter. Daughter. Son. Daughter. 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 Son. 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 
Son, son. When you're scared, what's the greatest, when, when you're scared, what is the greatest, if you can think in your mind at the times you've been most scared, what is the greatest comfort to you? It's got to be the hand of a parent. When you're in a shopping center and you've lost your way and you get caught between the clothes and Woolworths and you screamed out. And over the wreck came this hand and grabbed you. And as that hand grabbed you, this unbelievable peace came upon you. The hand of a father. He acted like a father. The second thing, friends, he acts like a healer. I had a grandpa in the Anglican church. His name was Don Martin. He started a thing in the Anglican church called Christ Healing Fellowship. And I'll never forget, I was drinking coffee in White River at a little center in White River. I was drinking coffee, and there's a couple next to me, and I felt like they were skinnering. You know when like skinner, skinner, like skinner. So hey, they're talking about me. Hey, don't talk bad about me. And the lady said to me, "Are you Don Martin's grandson?" I thought you've never met you in my life. I said, "Yes, I'm Don Martin's grandson." She said, "Your grandfather prayed for us. Our marriage was about to end in divorce." And your grandpa paid for us, and we got healed. I said, how did you know that? He said, I don't know that. I just felt when I saw you, Don Martin's grandson. And I got up to preach in Pretoria, and I was talking about my granny. My grandpa used to be an Anglican minister in Pretoria, and this lady walked up to me. She said, are you Don Martin's grandson? I said, yes, I am Don Martin's grandson. She said, you know, 50 years ago, your grandpa married us. 50 years ago. They're now members of my congregation. 50 years ago. Amazing, eh? And the man wrote me a letter. He said, two couples in our church. Your grandfather married me. He's a naughty guy. He said, I never knew his grandson would teach me about God. But I had meningitis as a little boy. I was in a coma. Lying in hospital, very sick. My mum phoned my grandpa and said, Rory is very, very sick, Dad. You must come and pray for me. He said, no, I'm just having dinner. Your mum's cooked me dinner. She said, Dad, Dad, you don't understand. He's really sick. He said, no, you don't understand. Your mum just cooked me dinner. <laughs> you see, the timings of God, friends. We don't know. If, if you know God, you know His timings. And my grandpa had dinner. He came and laid hands on me. I was in a coma. He laid hands on me. And I left the hospital the next day with five burn marks on my hand, on my face. We had ladies' hands and not an ounce of meningitis because my grandpa was used by Christ the healer to reach out his hand to people who were bleeding. And this story is a story about Jesus the Father. It's a story about Jesus the healer. If you've got pain in your body tonight, I want you to put your hand on where your pain is. Maybe it's a woman with the issue of blood. Maybe it's a shoulder. Maybe it's your blood. Maybe it's your head. Put your hand on it right now. Your back. The Bible says, Lord God, she spent all her money on many doctors and she never got better. She got worse. I pray, mighty Jesus, in the same way that you reached out your hand to this woman, 
you reached out your hand to that girl who was dead. I pray, mighty God, that you would reach out your hand to these men and women this, this evening. You would reach out your hand. You would touch backs. You would stop bleeding. You would heal shoulders. You would touch knees. You would heal heads. You would heal hearts. I pray healing God. Because Lord God, this city is broken. This city is in despair. This city is bleeding. And Lord God, I ask that you would heal the city. I pray you would start by healing these bodies here today. You care deeply, Lord God. You care deeply. Some want you to leave, some laugh, some get offended. But I believe, Lord. I believe that you can heal. And I pray for a healing power to come over people's bodies, over their minds, over their sexuality. A lot of broken sexuality here, Father. I ask that you would heal that. In Jesus' name. Amen. But friends, I close with this. I believe, I've looked at the story lots. I believe actually the way Jesus responds best in the story is as a son. And I want to just share with you two things about Jesus the son in this story and then we finish. The Bible says, when she touched him, power left him. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10 it says, it was the will of the Father to crush him. One of the Bible says, it pleased the Lord to crush his son. In other words, Jesus, God the Father, crushed his son. What happens when you get crushed? Blood starts to spill. And when his blood started to spill, her blood started to stop. I want to say to you, Jesus the Son submitted to the will of the Father. This was just a little test of God. It was a little squeeze. I'm going to just squeeze you a little bit. And that squeezing is going to heal a woman who's got a 12-year problem. And I want to tell you here today, I don't know how you're bleeding, but I want to tell you that Jesus didn't just get a little squeeze. He got crushed by his Father. So that the bleeding in your life can stop. If you've ever had a child, it is absolutely physically impossible unless you're deranged to hurt your child on purpose. You cannot take your child and start to squeeze their head. If you squeeze your child's head, the moment they show any form of discomfort, if you're a normal human being, you stop immediately. The Bible says the father crushed his son. Crushed him. Crushed him. Crushed him. One Bible, it pleased the Lord to crush him because he knew how badly your bleeding was affecting you. And the only thing that could stop your bleeding was if his body started to bleed. And he was crushed so that you and I can get healed. That's Jesus the Son. And number two, at his greatest time of need, when he was hanging on a cross and he cried out to his father, Father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? God, I'm scared. God, can't you take this away? God, can't you put your hand on me? God, can't you rescue me? At that time, the father took his hand off his son and turned away. 
so that you and I will never, ever have the Father take his hand off us. And he will keep reaching out his hand. And he will keep saying to Lita Kawum, little girl, I say to you, get up. Son, get up. Father, get up. Preacher, get up. Businessman, get up. The father let go of the hand of his son so that he'll never let go of our hand. I want to tell you, friends, this nation has got junk status. It needs fathers who will turn around and mothers who will turn around to broken people and say daughter and son. It needs people who will reach out their hands and heal those who are broken. But it needs Jesus who got squeezed so that they could get healed. And it needs Jesus who had his hand taken away from his father's hand taken away so they will know what it means for a father to hold their hand forever. I read this little verse of scripture and we closed. Where are my glasses? John chapter 10 and we finished. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered, verse 25, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Say no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Say, my Father father. is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. His Father let His hand go so that your hand will never be let go. He let His hand go so that your hand will never be let go. He let His hand go so that your hand, daughter of God, will never be let go. He let his hand go so that your hand will never be let go. He let his hand go, ma'am. Kim. So that your hand will never be let go. The Father is greater than all and nobody can snatch us from the Father's hand. Amen.